Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Rent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Environmental due diligence is a critical process when evaluating a site for potential development. A top decision factor for site selectors and corporate decision makers is what sites and buildings are available. When they're looking for a new location or, well, ready to invest millions of dollars, that's why we're here today. We're starting with the basics, or environmental 101, if you will including brownfield redevelopment, regulatory compliance, and what economic developers need to know before proceeding with the acquisition and development of a property. Joining us today, we have Trey Hess and Annie McElwain with PPM Consultants out of the Ridgeland, Mississippi office. Trey is Director of Brownfields and Economic Development for PPM, and Annie leads the permitting and compliance practice in Mississippi. PPM is a full-service environmental consulting firm with offices throughout the Gulf South region. Thank you for joining us today on Mississippi Prospects. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. All right, let's get this started with a little background on why we're even here talking about this, because this conversation came up when you were speaking with Mary Swope about a year ago with MEDC. Sure. Well, about, um, I guess, last year's conference, Mary and I were talking about, well, how does it feel now to no longer be a regulator? Of course, I worked for DEQ for 25 years and uh, was constantly asked questions about economic development, redevelopment, brownfields, those kinds of things. And so I said, well, the biggest change probably for me is is just the perspective, because obviously from a regulator standpoint, you're looking for public health threats, environmental threats, those kinds of things. But from an economic development standpoint, which now with PPM, I'm leading that effort, um, you're really looking for what the developer wants, what the community wants, and what uh, what primarily is the best way to get those those, those uh, businesses up and running. You said people ask you, who are these people? Are they local officials, uh, real estate developers, site selection consultants? A lot of times it's the economic development folks themselves, the, the, the members of MEDC. You know, what they're typically asked is, uh, look, we have a large employer that may be interested in this area. We're looking for the logistics. We're looking for the workforce. We're also looking for properties that maybe have the environmental already done on them. Uh, wetlands, those kinds of things. And so primarily this day and age, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Now, there's also city managers, uh, mayors, those types who have a little more, uh, a little bit different look at things. But I also deal with those a lot these days too. So you come from a regulatory background. What is the number one challenge facing economic developers when it comes to environmental regulations? Probably, at least from a brownfield standpoint, I'll certainly let Annie talk a little bit about the the permitting and compliance side of things. But a lot of times, people really don't realize what's involved with due diligence. A lot of times, they, they may have a phase one that was done 10 or 15 years ago, and they figure, well, that's good enough. Well, a lot can happen on a piece of property in 10 or 15 years, and a lot of times these, these owners of industrial parks, the economic developers, may not realize that there might have been some sloppy housekeeping out there. And, and the liability associated with that, particularly for the owner of the property or for the, the company coming in, is an important factor, and, and working through the regulatory labyrinth at times is, is a key component of that. Is it common? You you mentioned industrial parks. So this is an area that's been set aside for development, corporate industrial development. They did their due diligence, conducted due diligence, say, a decade ago. Things have changed in that time. 
they think they've already got a piece of property that has been assessed and evaluated. But what you're saying is it's always good to go back and conduct a new assessment? Sure. In fact, I, I, I think a lot of times um, economic developers maybe don't realize that a phase one, and most people are familiar with what a phase one is, it's a background check, they're really only good for the bank or for the lenders or for most um, uh, institutions, only good for six months. Now, people go, well, goodness gracious, six months, what does that mean? Well, a lot can happen in six months, and, and the ASTM standard associated with that means it's only good for six months. So I always encourage, I don't encourage you always updating those, but I always encourage you to come back, revisit that, and, and if you see a deal on the horizon, let's, let's get that done. Now, site selection consultants typically call economic developers. They ask a lot of questions about you know rail access, infrastructure, workforce, and job training. From an environmental perspective, though, what can the Mississippi economic developers do to have a distinct competitive advantage over our competition in other states? Well, I've seen a lot of uh, movement lately, particularly from Mississippi Power, from Entergy, even from MDA itself, seeing a lot of certified sites or ready sites, those kinds of things. Um, to me, we should look at some of those brownfield properties because most of those have not um, gone through that process. And so I think it's really important to look at the background, to look at the phase ones, to, to get phase twos done, just to uh, demonstrate that that property is ready for reuse. In fact, I encourage you to, to coordinate with Mississippi DEQ to get a brownfield agreement in place because with a brownfield agreement, there is liability protection, which is huge for any industry coming in on that property. Just for my sake and maybe some of those who are listening, define a brownfield site for us. How, what fits in a brown, in that definition? Uh, sure, sure. A brownfield site is any property, that um, real property that either has real contamination associated with it or perceived contamination. In fact, probably I would say 75% of the time, it's just the perception of contamination that maybe steers people away from that. So it may be a corner gas station that's been sitting there vacant abandoned for, for 10 or 15 years. It may be an old manufacturing plant. We've got lots of those that closed, you know, when a lot of them went to, to Mexico. But um, we've got a lot of those out there. And yet the infrastructure is still in place. A lot of times it's cheaper to reuse that infrastructure um, instead of going out and building a brand new industrial park. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all about land recycling. And that's, that's a really important thing these days with, the, with how much land is these days. Going back to certified sites, and that's very important. It's something that I know the state of Mississippi is addressing uh, in many ways. Uh, our utility partners, as you mentioned before, it's a lot of site certification being discussed right now. Um, and everybody has sort of different criteria on what would meet a certified site. Uh, why are you seeing fewer brownfield sites as certified? I think primarily what I see is that most of the economic developers are focusing on the new industrial parts that they maybe have created in the last, you know, 10 years. Let's face it, Mississippi has a lot of green space. We have a lot of properties that uh, have been bought that were farmland for the longest time, and now they're ready uh, or certified because it's, it's, it doesn't have any past uses. But let's face it, you have some of the older cities, um, and we also have some areas uh, that, that made up small-town Mississippi that, that have plant sites that are just sitting there ripe for the picking. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I just don't see them being evaluated and certified. To me, why not go ahead and address that? Because it may be um, it may be worthwhile to a developer to come in or a, 
a company to come in and reuse that property. So not exclusively, but in many cases where you could consider it an urban revitalization or renewal type project, especially use the city of Jackson, which has perhaps a lot of older properties that may be available for development, this would fall in line with that. Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's actually some new legislation that came out in 2013, the uh, the Mississippi Economic Redevelopment Act, which to me, um, it provides a multiplier on any cleanup costs in the, in the form of a sales tax rebate. So in other words, let's say you've got downtown Jackson, you've got an old defunct piece of property that's used to be a gas station that has tanks in the ground that may have a little bit of contamination and some asbestos with it. Um, you could come in, redevelop it, make it into a new coffee shop, and the sales tax generated from that new operation could be used to rebate back to the developer on that. So there's some tools out there. There's the Brownfield tax credit for uh, income tax credit. There's lots of incentives out there that maybe have not been tackled or at least addressed. And, And my goal is to continue to promote that, to continue to promote it to the Economic Development Council, to developers, to cities and counties, because they're out there. And Mississippi is in a unique situation here. We have this Economic Redevelopment Act that no other state in the union has. And Uh, To me, that is something that we ought to be proud of, and we ought to be really taking advantage of it. One example, the district at Eastover. District at Eastover, if you remember, used to be the old school of the blind. Mm -hmm. Lots of asbestos, had some transformers, some solid waste. They worked through the DEQ, Duckworth Realty worked through that, came with their development plan, and they used the Economic Redevelopment Act to help pay for the uh, development costs, excuse me, the the cleanup costs associated with that. The mill at MSU is another great example. Um... They also took advantage of the Economic Redevelopment Act. We're working on one in Hernando right now, a very small project. That small project being trying to show people that the Economic Redevelopment Act can be used not on these large-scale districted Eastovers or or millet MSUs, but also on a small scale. And uh, it's just taking an old equipment manufacturer, excuse me, an old equipment distributor, and converting that into a mixed-use development. For me, the Economic Redevelopment Act, unlike a lot of states, with a 2.5 multiplier. In other words, if you spend a million dollars to clean something up, you stand to get 2.5 million back. I mean, who has that kind of incentive uh, here in the U.S.? Michigan uh, was at a conference a couple of years ago when it first came out. They were highlighting Mississippi's Economic Redevelopment Act um, way up there where all those Yankees are. So last opportunity then for those people who are not considering that they want a brand new Greenfield site, never been developed before, but there's a lot of opportunity in Brownfields. Right here in our own backyard. You know, communities and economic development organizations, they often own their own sites or many of these sites or have taken possession thereof. What kinds of concerns should they have as now they've become landlords, and what can they do to minimize their exposure to liability and risk? Obviously, that would be inherent in this in a brownfield site. Sure. You know, keep in mind that the CERCLA law, the law, the Superfund law, the one that the law that's out there that that uh, forces you to clean things up, it's unfair. I'll say the reason why I say it's unfair is the property owner, whether they operated a facility or not is the responsible party. And so to give you an example, the state of Mississippi, 16th section land down in Gulfport, Mississippi, the old Chemfax site. If I remember correctly, the state of Mississippi has never operated a chemical plant. And I don't think it ever will, at least not with the governor we have now, because he knows what's best for the state. But because it was 16th section land, the EPA said the state of Mississippi is a responsible party. And so the state had to clean that up. 
fair or unfair. That's just the way it is. So if you're a landlord, if, if you're um, someone who has leased out the property, particularly for some of the MDA grants, you know, you do have some MDA grants that require that the city or the county own that property. It, it should You should think about, as landlords, ensuring that, number one, the property's being managed appropriately, but also if you see that that piece of property or that company is about to go belly up, Maybe, maybe, and and look, if you're an economic developer in the area, you're going to know when they're struggling. And I encourage them at that point to begin thinking about the worst case scenario, which might very well be a bankruptcy um, and and jobs lost and all that. But you will then have yourself a piece of property and you need to be thinking about what's coming coming, uh, down the pipe because the best brownfield is the newest brownfield. And just, you know, what I mean by that is you've got yourself something that's operating. It may go bankrupt, but guess what? At that point, because the equipment is still out there and in functioning, that's the time that you really need to be focusing on promoting that particular piece of property. Because you wait one year, the motors are going to lock up, the pumps are going to lock up, the permits are going to expire, those kinds of things. You and I spoke recently, uh, we were discussing the topic, and you gave me a scenario, a buyer beware type of scenario, where communities are deeded a piece of property, they acquire a piece of property through any number of means, but there can be pitfalls with that. It's sort of a too good to be true. This is great. We got this new piece of property. Can you walk me through that scenario? Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of times, um, in fact, most presentations that I give I will take a moment and say this, so everybody listen up. Always, 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 always do your due diligence. If somebody wants to give you a piece of property, the first question you ought to ask is why. If it's an asset, why would they be giving it to the city? A a couple of scenarios that I've kind of run through on that. One would be they've got a lemon and they're trying to get rid of it. Another scenario might be it's landlocked or it's, it's just a piece of property that they can't do much with. The third thing is they're just tired of paying property taxes. Well, if they're paying their taxes, why would you, if you don't have a plan for it, why would you take that property as a city or a county or any kind of entity if you don't have a plan for it? Um, I'll give you one example. A, a couple of years ago, North Mississippi, um, a county came to me and said, let me tell you what happened, Trey that one of the county hospitals had closed down and they turned around and they thought they had themselves an asset. Well, they gave it to the city. The city said, great, I have this thing. One day I'll do something with it. About two years later, they got a call from a home health business that wanted to maybe come in and and do something with this property. The mayor was excited. As he drives up to the hospital, he notices that there's a ladder leaning against the hospital. Didn't think much of it went inside. When he opened up inside, he realized what the ladder was all about. Someone had broken through the roof, i.e. now you had a leaky roof. Inside had stripped out every bit of copper. And so as he walks these officials down the halls, he felt pretty embarrassed because he now had himself not an asset, but a serious liability with mold, um, with a leaky roof, etc. So before anyone gives you something, Think about, number one, why are they giving it to me? And number two, um, if I have it, am I going to do something with it? Because the last thing you want to do is now have to maintain that property, mow the grass, check the roof, make sure nobody's stealing anything. Somebody gets hurt out there, you're going to get sued. All of those things that go into owning an asset. And so if you don't have a plan for it, think twice and then make the right decision. 
Annie, not trying to exclude you from the conversation here. You know, Trey brings the regulatory side to us, Mm -hmm. and you've worked with industry as an environmental consultant. Mm -hmm. And so, what is your role then working with developers and different industries in Mississippi? So, um, I primarily help industries and, uh, you know, commercial businesses with permitting and any plans and programs that are required of them by the EPA, um, also by OSHA, and, uh, you know, just MDEQ in general. So, you know, that can be anything from construction permits for air emissions um, and for kind of their planned facility, um, you know, wastewater permits, spill plans, kind of the whole gamut of things they might run into. I work at the state level in economic development, and one thing we're very proud of in this state is we have a very efficient permitting process. Mm -hmm. There have been criticisms, or people have tried to criticize our process, saying that we are not conducting due diligence in this. Uh, But really, as I've understood it, and you can, through your own personal experience, we cut through a lot of red tape here, and we like to call it one-stop shopping. You go one place, and you can get through this process. How does that work, then? Right. Um, I feel the same way. I mean, just working with MDQ, they're very um, understanding. They really take the time to get to know the processes at different plants. Um, And so uh, they've done a really great job trying to be that one-stop shop. But also, I strongly, strongly encourage anyone who's starting, you know, who's setting up a new industry or, or, you know, a business to get for lack of a better word, an audit of what your future is going to be. Um, You know, MDEQ does a great job when they do come in and look around and say, well, do you have this permit? You probably need this plan or program, but oftentimes there might be some things that are overlooked or some processes that aren't described fully. Um, So I always encourage people, go ahead, get with a consultant or someone who knows environmental regulations well and tell them, all the ins and outs of your future process and they can hopefully guide you through what all you need to do to be in compliance because nothing's worse than finding out someplace doesn't have a construction permit and no plans and programs in sight and everything's built and it's just um, we want to avoid that. (laughs) Well and I would encourage too you know just coming from a regulatory standpoint on that that coming to DEQ on the front end Mm -hmm. and talking to them about your plans it goes a long way. And when you yes. have yourself a team that's looking both at your regulatory standpoint, but also the business side of things, because let's face it, to do that, you've got to be sure that um, that you're focusing on the right things. So I encourage you to, to go and be proactive and go see DEQ to do that. And, and Annie's right. We can help you on the compliance side, but you've also got to realize that, that bringing them in and showing that you have nothing to hide is a, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. This is a case of where an ounce of prevention on the front end is worth Millions, as far as the pound of cure goes. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Because we've got tens, you know, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars in investments on the line, Uh, jobs, all of that when we're doing that. Uh, Annie, what are some of the things that you believe are the biggest hurdles for economic developers uh, when it comes to environmental compliance? What are their common issues that they typically face? Typically, you know, you just have kind of the, the wait times that a lot of people don't take into account when it comes to permits. Um, You know, different permits have longer wait times. If you're looking at a, a, you know, some air permits can take four months for MDEQ to send through to longer. So you have to take into account the wait time. You know, just because you send in an application doesn't mean let's go build. 
Um, so I think I've, I've seen that a lot. I've seen the waiting being the issue. But that's the other thing that what Trey was saying. It's great to go ahead and get in front of MDEQ, introduce yourself, explain the process, answer any questions. That way there's not so much of the back and forth correspondence and the time and, and all of that that it takes. Um, so I always encourage people, you know, meet before you send the permit in and meet after you send the application in. And that way it can Again, you have that valuable face-to-face time, but you also can hopefully answer questions and speed up the process some. And I would say real quick that um, one of the other challenges is on the compliance side. A lot of times things have been done the same way for the past 15 years at this manufacturing facility. Well, it may have been incorrect. It may be that it was a violation that no one really noticed. And for whatever reason, because, you know, Let's face it, DEQ is a regulatory agency, but they don't go to every single facility out mm-hmm. there. And so having a, having a partner in that, whether it's PPM or, a, or an environment, other environmental consultant, to see your operation, compare that operation to other operations that we're familiar with throughout the southeast is a good thing because we could point out this permit you may have, but you do realize that you're discharging much higher values than anything you should be doing. So the compliance side can hammer you, and you got to be very careful of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies, especially newer ones, are coming in, or even our existing businesses when they're expanding, will use multi-source funding. A lot of them are federal grants. And a lot of those federal grants have different regulatory requirements tied to use of those funds. One I've worked with for many years is community development block grants. And I have seen a project that was not able to use those funds because they had violated the environmental side on the front end, which meant they moved dirt before they had done their environmental. Mm -hmm. How big of a problem is this? And again, I think bringing you all in on the front end uh, would certainly prevent that from happening so that they can use these different sources of funds. Yeah, well, I would say that you've got, you know, the Delta Regional Authority, Appalachian Regional Commission, Um, Even MDA has a lot of these different grants, and they all come from different angles on this. So um, I'll give you one example. You know, we have many communities now with brownfield grants, and to be eligible to use those grants, the city cannot own it and have not done their due diligence. So I guess my point being is that a lot of times there's very particular things that people don't realize, whether it's wetlands, whether it's floodplains, whether it's a lot of these threatened endangered species, et cetera, that you just don't think about until the 23rd hour. And you've got to realize that to address this proactively on the front end through smart planning, through getting the right team together, and involving the regulators, MDA as well, uh, you'll find that you'll everybody wants success here. Everybody wants jobs. Everybody wants a clean environment. And to do all of these kinds of things on the front end, uh, it, it just makes smart business sense and make, makes smart uh, sense for a state as a whole. Joining us is Trey Hess and Annie McElwain with PPM Consultants. I want to thank both of you for joining us today for Environmental 101. It's been very enlightening, and I know that we can expand upon this in the future. And hopefully uh, we got some great takeaways today. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.